Wow, what a year we've had in the sport of mixed martial arts. Not one major upset, but several within the last year's span. And considering it's been about six years already since we've made a video discussing this topic, it makes all the sense in the world to revisit this idea and see how these huge upsets over more than half a decade have affected the rankings and see how they rank among those greatest upsets in the sport's entire history. So let's go ahead and get right into it. I'm Jason from MMA on Point. A massive thank you to our biggest supporters with our Hall of Famers, and these are the biggest upsets of all time. Starting with number 15, yes, it's going to be a long list, Gonzaga versus Mirko Krokop. As this is the only non-title fight to be on this list, I think it does naturally make sense to rank below the rest, but don't let that make you think this wasn't an earth-shattering moment at the time. To put it into context, Mirko had just won the 2006 Openweight Grand Prix. Back then, Pride had by far the best heavyweight division, even when compared against the UFC, and especially considering Fedor, the only man ranked higher than him at that time was opting out of signing with UFC, this very much felt like Mirko was a shoe-in for the title. Enter Gabriel Gonzaga, then pretty much entirely unknown at 7-1. Needless to say, he was a heavy, heavy underdog. Just wasn't given a chance, and of course, that's when the iconic head kick landed, which was just about the craziest possible scenario considering that was Mirko's own signature move, and the rest was history. Number 14, Burrell versus Dillashaw. What happens when you take a fighter on a 32-fight unbeaten streak, including three title defenses between gaining the interim and undisputed UFC Bantamweight titles, and match him against someone like that of a 10-2 Ultimate Fighter loser? You are one pathetic loser. On a one-fight win streak. Well, as you guessed, Brow wins. Number 13. Oh yeah, never mind. Uh, of course, we all know what this video is about, so the incredibly stacked odds somehow means... Dillashaw would become the winner and one of the greatest Bantamweights of all time. Meanwhile, Barrow's career would quickly plunge into absolute derailment with an endless pit of losses. This was such a crazy thing to happen at the time and absolutely deserves to be talked about among the most insane upsets. Number 13, Rose Namajunas versus Asparza 2. Part of me really wants to rank this a lot higher. I'm not sure how, but the closing odds on this fight were only about as high as around minus 240 for Rose to retain her title in that second Esparza fight. And I guess many were waiting the fact that she did lose to Carla in the first fight, but there were literally eight years in between the two fights, and although you can't argue against Carla earning the title shot, it was also due conveniently to a cleared lane that Rose and some of the other division had paved for her. So for one, Rose had already beaten Zhang twice. Joanna twice, who had just become retired, and the last woman to beat Carla, Tatiana Suarez, was again on one of her long injury hiatuses. Or even Andrade, she'd moved up in weight class. To Carla's credit though, she had beaten Jan Janan and Marina Rodriguez in that span, so still, it was pretty hard to argue against her deserving that shot. But for many of the reasons I've already stated, most thought that this would be an easy revenge fight for Rose. But instead, it became infamous for one of the worst game plans characterized by pretty much Rose just 
desperately trying not to lose instead of fighting to win, and this meant extreme timidity all throughout the fight with almost no offense, leaving the judges zero choice but to give Esparza the huge upset win. And then to add on the fact that Carla immediately got dismantled by Zhang Wei Li, it felt as if this was what Rose was supposed to do in their fight. I should also mention that the old version of this video we had Rose versus Joanna won, but I think by far the bigger win is Carla Esparza becoming champion in 2022. It's just insane. Number 12, Cejudo versus DJ2. This is another rematch that definitely needs to be ranked among the craziest moments in our sport. And at the time that this happens, Demetrius Johnson was legitimately sitting on top of the mountain for greatest of all time with records that will perhaps never be broken or at the very least for a very, very long time. Like his 11 consecutive title defenses. Looking at the current UFC roster, it's hard to see that happening for anyone as it's either too early or too competitive in their respective divisions. And in the case of Volkanovski, he's splitting divisions as of late. So it's not consecutive. It's going to be broken up. So factor that on top of the fact that, well, DJ had already demolished Cejudo in one of his absolute best highlight reel moments. Cejudo just didn't appear to belong in there with him at all. So by the time of their second fight, we were talking about a minus 600 favorite for Johnson to retain. And who could blame the odds makers considering with what we had already seen? Sure enough, Cejudo would put together one of his best career performances and eke out a super close decision. Considering there wasn't some incredible KO or something of that nature to cement the shock factor here and the close nature of the fight itself, people still debate DJ1 to this day. It still feels like a very strong place to have him on the list. Number 11, Maurice Smith versus Mark Coleman. If time has taught us anything in this crazy sport, it's that we've learned absolutely nothing from the sport's first truly monumental upset. Mark Coleman at the time was being compared with Mike Tyson by many of the early MMA fans and had just become the sport's first heavyweight champion. Again, by smashing everyone, and this time Dan Severn, who was pretty much seen as the only worthy wrestling competitor outside of Mark Kerr, who even then was still just making his name known. Then comes a man who'd pretty much lost to every fighter in Pancreas who knew what a submission was. So a hulking wrestler didn't sound very promising either, and Marie Smith had a literal losing record of six and seven. But what he had in his back pocket was a very smart matador-like approach. Essentially just let this big son of a bitch roid rage the shit out of his own gas tank and then pick him apart on the feet. It's remarkable Smith didn't manage to get a finish with Coleman in the state that he was in, but it worked out to perfection with that game plan on the night in 1997 when Marie Smith turned the world upside down. Number 10, Sean Strickland versus Israel Adesanya. You might have expected to see this fight higher up on the list as it was clearly a big inspiration for revisiting this topic, but the truth is, Israel Adesanya's record in dominance won't quite measure up to some of the legacies ahead in order for us to have a ranking higher. And I think the biggest factor we have to mention is that Izzy has already lost a couple of times, and while you would expect that since Pereira sparked out Strickland, that it would automatically mean Strickland definitely loses to the man who KO'd Pereira, well that's just MMA math for you, isn't it? And the truth is, guys, Israel has now lost once every year for the last three years. The latter parts of his reign just don't stack up against the other massive greats on this video that we're about to mention. But by all means, let's not take away from the moment. This was absolutely a massive upset that deserves all the respect in the world sent Strickland's way. I'm just trying not to get all hyperbolistic about it where it should rank. Recency bias, all that, you know. And even if you want to argue this was just an off night for Izzy, it was still about a minus 600 
standard forecast for him. It's the most recent reminder that you can never call a fight prediction to ever be 100% certain. And that's one of my absolute favorite things about this sport. It's incredible to see the underdog shock the world time and again, and just as awesome as it is to see greatness flourish. Number nine, BJ Penn versus Matt Hughes. It cannot be understated how wild this was, and because it was still in the later part of the Dark Ages era of the UFC when no one was really watching anymore and just before the revival that doesn't seem to be as appreciated as it should be. BJ Penn was already called the prodigy, but not due to his MMA career. He was struggling. It was his BJJ championships that got him that nickname. For one, he failed to capture the lightweight title on two separate occasions by this point, once through a decision loss and the other through a draw. Compare that with Matt Hughes, the bigger man, a weight class up, which already makes this transition hard enough for BJ, but Matt Hughes was legitimately the greatest champion the sport had seen to this point. Five title defenses. I mean, these kind of records had never been achieved. Fader was new as a champion back then, for instance, in Pride. Tito's reign was also five defenses, but he'd already lost by then. And otherwise, three title defenses was the closest record outside of this. So it's not unfair at all that Matt Hughes was viewed as the best fighter on the planet when this happened. But of course, BJ dominated Matt Hughes, clearly did not see himself having any chance of losing, first by being hurt on the feet, and then being dominated in his own specialty on the ground with grappling. That's BJJ versus wrestling for you. It was just unreal to watch back in 2004, and we've never seen an upset quite like it again. Number eight, Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. Looking back at my placement originally for this one, I think I may have ranked this a bit too high. While Anderson Silva's record speaks for itself and the many accomplishments that will take a very long time to ever be matched, let alone broken, especially now even further being cemented by recent developments with Izzy's reign again coming to an end, it just shows you how once in a lifetime Silva's run actually was. But when you really look back then, Weidman was the right matchup in every category on paper. A wrestler the likes of Chael Sonnen who could not only control him as we saw, but had the stand-up to back it up. And that second factor was what ended the Legends GOAT level title reign in an incredible fashion. And another point on that level is many fighters actually picked Weidman going into that fight for those very reasons that they saw in Weidman's skill set. Not necessarily everyone picked him though, but many people gave him a realistic shot of winning. But make no mistake, that changes nothing about how shocking and unbelievable this was, which alone is enough to warrant the spot on the list. Paired with the fact that Anderson had shown no signs of slowing down and his confidence was definitely there too, which cost him the fight in a lot of ways. Still though, Weidman had only nine fights. The guy didn't even have 10 fights yet. It's crazy. Just unreal what he was able to do. And it's a night in this sport none of us will ever be able to forget. Number seven, Usman versus Edwards too. Again, we see another rematch, this time one that appeared to be going perfectly until the very end. And I think I'd be remiss not to remind you that Usman was on the verge of some seriously impressive records that this fight snapped and pretty much made impossible going forward, even if Usman was able to win immediately with the rematch. There's just not enough time to build it back up to where it was. Usman was literally about to break the longest winning streak in UFC history. Had he won, he'd tie Anderson Silva with 16 wins. This one would have passed Matt Hughes' record of five title defenses, which would have put him just two behind GSP. Not to mention, unlike Silva versus Weidman by comparison, Usman had already soundly beaten Edwards, which made him a sizable enough underdog, and crucially, this fight was going in the same direction as the first fight by the fifth round. And it's definitely notable that the odds for this fight weren't nearly as big as it had Usman closing around 400, which is still a big favorite, but the big 
big thing here is when you look at the live round odds. Oh my god, Usman was a minus 5,000 favorite to retain, which translates to a 98.04% chance of victory. Wow, this sport is just wildly unpredictable that even in the most certain of cases, you are still going to be proven wrong. Headshot dead, am I right? Number six, Fedor versus Big Nog. It's easy to forget now, but when Fedor beat Noguera the first time, he was pretty much a nobody in the sports, at least as far as the average fan was concerned. Back then, his stoic nature and cold demeanor didn't mean as much as it does today because he was a blank slate back then. We didn't know him. And at that point, he was in fairly regular regular fights. He looked great in his wins, mind you, but not yet known as the unbelievable world beater he'd become in the future. No doubt the world would soon find out, though. And by then, Big Nog had literally beaten everyone Pride had thrown at him. It was to the point that leaving the promotion was where all the interesting new fights were. I mean, they even gave him a 400-pound man in Bob Sapp, which just kind of felt unfair, and he still won it. And this run included Mark Coleman, who was just coming off his incredible Pride 2000 Grand Prix title capture, which was an upset of Coleman's own. And this was all the better for Big Nog's record. He even beat Overeem's big brother in rings twice back in the day. So when Fedor came along, although he also did well in rings, he was snubbed because of that famous loss due to a cut that should have definitely been a no contest. And by 2003, there's just not much the world knew about him. The Heath Herring win just prior would prove to be an omen, but, but no one even really knew about Sambo back then. So when he jumped into Big Nog's guard and dominated him in his best, most dangerous area, well, to put it in Tommy's terms, I would say we were all straight up flabbergasted. And Fedor would then go on to become what many would still consider the GOAT to this day, and certainly more would say so at heavyweight. Number 5, Shevchenko versus Grasso. As you've seen to this point, we've looked at a few fighters that are already considered GOAT level and getting into the top 5. It really has to be a spectacular upset to get in here. This is one of the freshest ones on the list, but no less deserving because even though it's so recent, I think it's pretty easy to forget quickly in the world of, quote, you're only as good as your last fight, unquote, how unexpected this was. Coming into this title fight, Shevchenko was pretty much the only women's flyweight division champion. Sure, there was Montano, but she won a replacement fight for the belt, and she wasn't even able to defend it and got stripped of her title for missing weight. So there really wasn't much outside of Valentina to speak of since the weight class began. By this time, we are talking seven title defenses. She was tied at number five for all time most defenses with Aldo, and that was only two wins away from matching GSP. Many people thought she won either the second or even first Nunes fight, who is unanimously considered the women's GOAT. She did have some trouble against Sila Santos that should be mentioned, but as we've seen of Santos in even her most recent loss, she really is just that damn good and that much of a problem. So then contrast that with Alexa Grasso's record. While she wasn't a four-fight win streak since moving up to flyweight, which deserves credit, the wins weren't anything to make you think she would do what she did. And just before moving up from strawweight, she literally only won half of her fights in the UFC going 3-3 three and three since joining. I remember discussing this with plenty of people and we were asking ourselves, where is she better anywhere? Does she do it on the grounds? 
No, doesn't seem like it. The feet, no. The clinch, no. No one gave her a chance, including myself, and it was a hard argument to go against based on what both had done in their careers. Turns out Grasso had the perfect game plan as her training showed, to the point that even if she devastatingly loses this rematch like real badly, one-sided, you still know she had the perfect game plan going into the first fight. Oh, and Shevchenko is a minus 800 favorite, by the way. We'll just have to see if that's the case going into this rematch. Number four, Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. So unlike some on this list with a rear view on this one, it's not nearly as shocking considering what we know now because she lost to a, well, world champion boxer and kickboxer. Of course she was going to lose to her. I mean, it feels obvious in hindsight. But that does not change the perception of the day and just how world-breaking this moment truly was. I mean, a future president in his first campaign was literally tweeting about this fight. It was all over the news worldwide. It happened in front of the UFC's largest attendance record in Australia. And in the build-up, many forget but Misha Tate was the one that was supposed to get the fight. Everyone was expecting her to get a third fight when this suddenly got announced. And not to mention, Holmes' career in the UFC was just not impressive, with two barely scraping by type of performances. As you can see, I'm really trying to adjust for the hindsight factor on this as much as I can, but Rousey was literally a minus 1500 favorite, nearly double that of Valentina versus Grasso. So you pair that with the fact that even if you didn't watch MMA back in 2015, you almost certainly still heard about this one, which means that even with the ability to go back and look at home or any solid striker, that really shouldn't have been near the upset by Styles. It was just far too big a cultural moment around the world and a shock to rank any lower than this. Number three, Fedor versus Verdum. So I've already talked about Fedor a good bit, but most of what I've talked about is before the reign or just as it began. Of course, after he took that title away from Big Nog, he dominated him again in the rematch, the real one anyway. And until the pride door shut, he was by far the best heavyweight. And not just heavyweight, but also fighter more generally on the planet. Beyond this point though, it's fair to say not signing with the UFC definitely meant he was taking lesser competition like that of Hongman Choi or an actual middleweight in Matt Lindland that just didn't make any sense to match him up against. But on the other side of that too, he still managed to get wins over Tim Sylvia and Arlovsky, which was not long out of their own title reigns or at least out of title contention by the time he beat and finished them. Looking back at the Brett Rogers fight and some of the struggles he had on the ground there, yeah, maybe that was an early red flag, but that is definitely debatable and he got the win in similar fashion to, let's say, the Fujita fight. It showed again that he could survive survive danger and always come out on top, and spectacularly in both of those cases. So by 2010, we're basically talking 10 years undefeated in his entire career without losing once. Again, Rings only called that fight a loss because they didn't like blood in their tournament someone needed to advance. His opponent Verdum, however, had lost in the UFC and had some lackluster fights there too. In Strikeforce, he beat Mike Kyle though. That <laughs> doesn't exactly say he has a shot at beating the heavyweight greatest of all time. Bigfoot was a solid win though, so I'll give him that. It was simply unthinkable at the time, and it was a true ending of an era. It's incredibly hard to top as an upset. But of course, there's more. Number two, GSP versus Matt Serra. This is probably within the MMA community at least the most famous upset there has ever been. GSP is who many consider the greatest of all time. No controversies, no checkered past, just the best. 
And even though he hadn't defended the welterweight title yet by the time of this fight, as he just won it from Matt Hughes, the skill gap between he and Sarah was very clear to everyone watching. Sarah came in pretty much as a gimmick to promote the UFC's flagship show and got the title shot not by beating a number one contender or anyone remotely close to the top of the division. And for that reason, I throw this into the out and out fluke category. As evidenced by the dominance in the rematch, put that together with the careers that not only preceded this fight and of course what would take place after in the following years, this was a shock from every angle you can possibly view it from. I mean, just look at that expression on Matt's face. Here and now, you can definitely look back and say it was overconfidence or underestimation on GSP's part, which he's admitted to, and crucially, some inexperience in doing so. You certainly will not be able to attribute inexperience on this next entry. But first, I think it's important we acknowledge some honorable mentions. I'll flash a bunch of these on screen for you guys just so you can see what I'm talking about. Also, you'll notice that I didn't really just go with odds. I definitely think there's a big factor to that, but the odds makers are out to get the biggest buck. They don't always align with how big the upset is. And certainly I wanted to put it on title fights because that's when the most were watching and it meant the most. All that being said, number one, Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena. Why is this number one, you're asking yourself? Well, I've gone back and forth on this, particularly in relation to the GSP one, but the more I think about it, just everything about this flew in the face of conventional wisdom. Amanda Nunez beat literally every other GOAT contender in the women's divisions, which includes Shevchenko twice, Cyborg, Holm, Rousey, Tate, even GDR twice, and she cleared out two divisions. Okay, really just one, but she did get the belt from fucking Cyborg, which is an insane feat. And unlike many of the GOAT contenders on the male side, there's very much a heated debate about who takes that hot spot. But here, there is no debate for the women's side of things. It's Amanda Nunez pretty much unanimously. And unlike GSP, you can't attribute this to her youth or inexperience. She'd already been champ for five years and was a longtime veteran of the sport. And contrasting that with the rematch, not only was Pena's win shown to be the biggest upset ever, I think it's also safe to call it the biggest fluke ever. The second fight was nowhere near competitive. So for for me, that's how I've got to end this list. But the question is, for you, how would you end this one? Did I get it right, or would you have put GSP versus Sarah at number one instead? How about Strickland versus Izzy? Wow, what a fight. It is what I love about this sport, so unpredictable. And of course, thanks to my big old floppy boy and Luke the Toolman Taylor for editing this video and being that little mullet in my life I cherish the most. Follow him on xnxx.com. I think that's what Twitter's called now. And of course, I want to give a special shout out to our channel champions. If you guys notice, we're doing all kinds of special content for people that sign up, including writers meetings, which also is just a good opportunity to support this channel if you want to see it thrive and grow beyond where it is now. That's it for me, guys. You all have a great day and we'll see you on the next video.